Hello and welcome to the Automotive Anecdotes podcast, the podcast that's normally for all that useless information your friends would rather you not talk about, but these episodes are a little bit different. We are joined by some very special guest panellists to talk about the future of motoring and more specifically the future of what's going to fuel it. Uh, I am the layman here, my name is Martin Clayton uh, on Twitter as at BobClayton92. Hi, uh, I'm John. Uh, so your usual host for the other Automotive Tales podcasts and at John MSM on all social media outlets. Hi, everybody. My name's Graham Bennett. I've been brought in to the, join the discussion uh, to present the views on hydrogen. Hi, everyone. I'm Jess Shanahan. I'm an automotive journalist and EV owner. I am at Jet L Bomb on Twitter. So we move on to our third uh, episode and look at our second alternative uh, fuel in this mini series uh, where we are just looking at what the future may hold uh, when ICE restrictions start coming into place in the UK in particular uh, in 2030. Uh, With this we have brought on uh, a specialist and uh, Graham uh, I know that you're there raring and waiting to go in terms of answering the questions. Um, I think it's fair to say that whereas with EV um, I think that is getting more and more sort of into the into the public consciousness uh, with Tesla, with Elon Musk, with the manufacturers now, you know, being able to go to any pretty much any major manufacturer and finding some kind of partial electric or electric version of their cars on their forecourt. Um, it's fair to say that that isn't the case with hydrogen at the moment. So I think it's really worth us sort of going right to the basics, Graham, and saying, first of all, how does hydrogen work when it comes to powering vehicles? Thanks very much for the, uh, for the introduction, Martin. So yes, my name is Graham Bennett. I want to try and spend some time with you today talking a little bit about the rise of hydrogen in transport and how hydrogen as part of the overall energy system um, is becoming more popular. So just a few basics, I think, perhaps before we get any questions from, from Martin. Hydrogen is, is the most abundant chemical substance in the universe. Its name is actually derived from two Greek words, hydrogen and genes, meaning water forming. Hydrogen today has got many uses. It's used very broadly in the chemicals industry to make ammonia for agricultural fertilizers. It makes feedstocks for plastics and for pharmaceuticals. It's used to remove sulfur from the uh, petrol and diesel we use today in our internal combustion engines. And a lot of it goes into the food industry to hydrogenate oils to make things like margarine. Hydrogen cars and HGVs are vehicles that are fueled by hydrogen, either as a combustion fuel, so you can mix that hydrogen with diesel in HGVs, or you can use it to uh, power a fuel cell. And in a fuel cell, the hydrogen gas, which is normally stored in pressure in dedicated tanks, comes into contact with the oxygen in the surrounding air. This is where an oxidation reaction occurs and it produces electricity to power the vehicle and only water vapour as an exhaust. Fuel cell vehicles are not that dissimilar to battery electric vehicles in that they also have a smaller battery pack or a supercapacitor, which is used to provide additional power boost when needed or to store electricity from regenerative braking. So today I'm happy to be here to share with you some thoughts on the growth of hydrogen fuel vehicles, but 
perhaps from a different perspective, instead of focusing on a debate around battery electric versus hydrogen, I thought it might be more interesting to try and consider electric and hydrogen vehicles as part of a shared landscape. And I'll also address any questions that may come up about why I think now is the right time for hydrogen in transport to grow. So back to you, Martin. Brilliant. And I think it's worth reiterating there uh, for anyone who didn't uh, or can't remember back to episode one, of course, uh, all the views, Graham, uh, that you're bringing here are your personal views uh, rather than anything to, uh, tied to your to your working working day. Um, so I think it's important that we uh, make sure that's stressed as well. Uh, yeah, they're very much linked to my transformation from a petrol head to a hydrogen head. Yeah. It's that, that's the new terminology. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an electric head, I'm a hydrogen head or I'm a petrol head. You've got to be careful with that because if you call yourself a hydro head, does that just make you a really good swimmer? Maybe. <laughs> 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 um, I suppose it's it, for, for me, me in particular, this is a really sort of um, primitive subject in that my knowledge is pretty much zero because I am that person that relies on, um, you know, well, still does rely on uh, various sort of, I don't want to say car wow YouTube videos and things like that, but you know, you rely on uh, what you see out there in sort of the, the general one, what gets out to the general uh, press as opposed to um, what you might delve into on piston heads or anything like that. So uh, it's, it's quite an interesting one for me. And on a, on a real basic level, uh, are there any hydrogen cars that you can go out and buy now from a manufacturer, Graham? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the hydrogen vehicles have had a checkered history. The first uh, fuel cell electric vehicle was the Honda Clarity FCX. That came out probably way back in 2008, although you'd struggle to see any of them on the road today. And they've really not taken off at scale. And that's why hydrogen has had several sort of false dawns with respect to its, uh, with respect to its uptake in transport. But that is about to change. There are several manufacturers, including Toyota, Mercedes, Kia, and Honda, even Honda again, reintroducing fuel cell vehicles, and BMW is planning to launch one in 2022. Uh, why? Why is that? Why are uh, mainstream motor manufacturers suddenly getting involved in in hydrogen again? Well, it's it's mainly two reasons for me. One is largely various governments around the world now have committed themselves to net zero emissions, uh, and that includes the, a substantial uh, contribution from from the from the vehicle sector contributes around 20% of overall CO2 emissions here in the UK. But also that drive to net zero emissions is, is driving international plans, not only for the decarbonisation of transport, but also for hydrogen to become a major component of the energy system. So not just for cars, but also for domestic, industrial heating, power generation, and for fueling trucks, trains, and ships. And also, perhaps more importantly, as we look at the greening of our transport solutions, but also to look at uh, the ability of hydrogen to be created from surplus renewable energy. Um, so we can use hydrogen as a battery and we can create hydrogen from those times when we've got too much um, uh, electricity on the grid and no means to store it. So you can convert that through electrolysis to green hydrogen and then use that green hydrogen in other sources. So I, I do think that the mainstream manufacturers have, all, have looked at both the... Um, the likely increase in demand for uh, low carbon, zero carbon vehicles, but are also getting one, one eye on the increased availability of hydrogen through a much bigger uh, refueling infrastructure that's likely to appear in the next few years. 
Okay, and uh, I think it's worth saying that that the, the refueling uh, infrastructure you mentioned about Honda, um, and one of the vivid memories I have of the first sort of time I actually paid paid attention to sort of hydrogen as a as a as a way of fueling a vehicle was the fact that it, that did appear on Top Gear uh, way way back in uh, like you say pre pre twenty ten the James May era, um, and you know they did show the gloves on having to secure the pipe in and and obviously the refueling uh of a hydrogen vehicle being uh time-wise not too dissimilar from uh going in and paying for petrol you know filling up your tank and paying for petrol but safety-wise potentially have you had to be a little bit more um conscious um i think that's something that's like you say has come up quite a lot in terms of uh, one of the perceived negatives of hydrogen is the danger of or the the, the safety method, uh, infrastructure that has to go around it. Have you got any viewpoints on on, on that, Graham? And sort of how uh, does that pose a problem for a, a more sort of general um, infrastructure for hybrid uh, hybrid hydrogen? Apologies. Without doubt, it's one of the big challenges, one of the potential barriers to the growth of, of hydrogen fuel vehicles, and that is the fact that you're dealing with um, pressures in storage tanks which are on several hundred bar and therefore you're dealing with delivery systems which are at high pressure as well. Uh, but as with many um, gas fueling systems, whether it's propane or whether it's LNG, uh, we've, we've overcome most of those in the designs of, of the fueling systems and certainly the work that's already been um, taking place with respect to the use of hydrogen in things like buses in local authority refuse bin wagons and and things have, have led to a generation of new procedures, new ways of designing uh, those couplings. So in fact, you know, plugging in a, um, a hydrogen fueling uh, connection to your car is not dissimilar from from how you would connect a propane cylinder in your barbecue. Mm. It's it's a push fit um, and they're designed to be very safe. They're designed to, to be tested before any hydrogen is admitted to the, to the pressure system. Mm. Um, but I, I wouldn't want to um, disguise the fact or pretend that that, that hazard doesn't exist. Um, but you know, we've been fueling our cars with petrol and diesel for many, many years. Um, we are aware of the problems of fuel and static. Those things have been managed over the years, and, and the risk has been reduced. But it's it's not risk free, that's for sure. Um, I just have a, a quick question about something that, that you talked about there, in terms of you know, kind of the the, the buses, uh, the you know, the dust carts, and uh, things like that being hydrogen. At this stage, while it's relatively new, and that there's not a great deal of kind of uh, that this refueling infrastructure out there, plus the safety concerns of like you know a normal consumer. Is there going to be more of an uptake of hydrogen within commercial vehicles before we see it more in kind of our road cars? Definitely, Jess. I mean, the the um, the way in which we see this developing is is primarily in the heavy heavy end of the market. So either through, as I mentioned earlier, a blend of hydrogen being used with diesel in a combustion engine, and um, Royal Mail have started to do their first Christmas deliveries this year in Royal Mail vans. <laughs> which are uh, converted Ivoco vans, which are a, a blend of uh, hydrogen slash diesel. And that reduces the emissions of those vehicles by about 60%. Um, yeah. And that's a traditional combustion process. Uh, but as we move forward, I think the way in which we'll see uh, hydrogen rolled out is primarily into the heavier end of the market, because that's where it makes more sense. That's where it makes 
um, uh, you know, we're, we're counteracting the potential issue of, of the weight of batteries in electric vehicles and, you know, the trucks and the HTVs. If, you, if you're carrying, uh, you know, 40% of your vehicle weight is the battery, then it affects your payload. Um, so we, it also makes more sense from the refueling perspective because if, you're, um, if your HTV is doing point to point, if it's going from a warehouse to a, to a manufacturing facility, or if your refuse wagon is returning home to base each evening, then that infrastructure um, means that you can roll out a large number of vehicles, but a return to base type scenario for fueling uh, makes it much easier to, uh, to look at the, at, the, uh, at the initial rollout within the heavier end of the market rather than the light vehicle market. The only exception to what I would say in the light vehicle market is potentially in the, the high utilization area. And there I'm thinking about taxis, police vehicles, um, you know, ambulances, things like that, where you can't afford to even have a one hour charging time because you know it's, it's almost like a hot seat. You know, PC Jones gets out of the car and PC Smith gets straight back into it. They really can't afford to have um, the, the excess capacity they need in the vehicle fleet. So having a vehicle, even a light vehicle, where you can refuel in three to five minutes, very similar to a petrol diesel vehicle today, actually has some attractions for the light vehicle into the market where you, you need high utilization. Um, so you mentioned about um, experience from other parts of the uh, the chemical energy, LNG, things like that. I guess for the, the consumer, what that's near enough equivalent to is um, the small number of cars we've got on the road that run LPG, which is a fuel that actually isn't talked about a great deal, but was was quite a revolution probably, what, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and he's, there's a pretty, pretty strong infrastructure all the way around. I, my understanding is that connecting in for refilling hydrogen is much the same as it would be for connecting LPG, which is something that's done on a you know daily basis up and down the country. So to me, that it, it almost doesn't seem like a great leap on from something that most consumers are at least aware of, if not familiar with already. Yeah, you're right, John. I mean, yeah, any pressure, it's pressurized gas at the end of the day. And so it's very similar to an LPG connection. And as you say, there are a number, perhaps not as many as we would have hoped, vehicles that are, are using compressed natural gas today in, or, or using LPG. Uh, but again, which is a pressurized connection and they, um, the safety records of those, um, of those systems are very good. Um, so I, 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 I don't want to underplay the, the need to be careful and the need to have well-designed systems and good standards, both for filling processes and for the couplings and uh, connections that we need to use. But I don't think it's, it's, it's as much of a, a potential hazard as, as some people would, would make it out to be. Mm. Can I ask in terms of um, what you said there with, uh, with regards to the commercial vehicles that are doing a fuel split, essentially, because um, to me, that I didn't realise that was a thing with with hydrogen vehicles. But obviously, it sounds, you know, once again to the to the layman, it sounds like an alternative hybrid sort of model. Um, how how does that work? Having because presumably, unlike with a hybrid where you just fill up a petrol tank and obviously it does everything itself, presumably, do you have to fuel? There are multiple sort of fueling strategy. I don't know how, how it does it work in the same way on the real basic level. Or uh, well, for the for the I mean, I suppose that it's hard. Every hydrogen vehicle is a hybrid of one sort or another. Mm. Even for a fuel cell vehicle, it's effectively a hybrid. You're using a, a, a fuel cell to uh, react 
hydrogen oxygen together to produce electrical energy, which is being fed to the wheels, but it's also being fed to a battery. And the battery is being used to give the vehicle a boost, or it's also being used to capture regenerative energy. In a combustion vehicle, you've effectively got two storage tanks, you've got two fuel tanks, you've got the traditional diesel tank that you would normally fill up uh, at, a, at a fuel station of some sort, but you've got a, a, a tank of hydrogen that you're also using on the vehicle. So you would have two, two fuel tanks. Okay. It's, uh, it's something I'd never even sort of, but like you say, if it's going to sort of more the commercial side first, I suppose it's not something that needs to be, particularly in the uh, retail public domain uh, uh, for, for the time being. It's, uh, it's uh, an interesting sort of uh, commercial point. Yeah, and because because you're using a dual fuel system, you're not you tend not to fill both tanks at the same time. So the hydrogen tank, for the, because you're now getting significantly more miles per diesel gallon in that sense, because you're using you're supplementing that with hydrogen, you're not filling the diesel tank as often as you you would do normally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that you have to fill both every time you come to a fill station, um, but you know on some occasions you'll be filling up with diesel, on some occasions. You'll be filling up hydrogen on some occasions. You might be filling. You might be topping the plants. Okay, hmm. that's really interesting. It's a really interesting point actually that there's there's kind of two types of uh, applications. There's almost two sub technologies in here. One which is using hydrogen as a as a combustible. Um, so uh, mixed in with diesel, as you were saying, for the the Royal Mail solution. Uh, I know many many years ago BMW looked at doing full hydrogen internal combustion engine they converted i think it was an e38 7 series um, to have a hydrogen tank in the boot way back in the mid 90s i think as you say it was one of the the earlier kind of false dawns of the technology i think Mm. um and that actually and then the other side of that is it's kind of like a full electric vehicle but your power source instead of plugging it into charge comes from a fuel cell which you know powers the wheels charge the battery so there's there's almost like possibly even three subsets to the technology which is really interesting which might mean there's different applications of the technology or different bits of the technology for different uses we might see fuel cell battery type hybrids for road cars but you might see this diesel hydrogen mix for commercial vehicles certainly short term as an easier transition i think that's right john i think what you see for the potential use of hydrogen and diesel mark is retrofit um Mm. It's, it's about extending the life of the existing diesel fleet because, of course, the diesel fleet, the heavy goods vehicle fleet, is not included in the 2030 um, ban on new sales. So there is a little bit more breathing space in the, in the heavy end of the market to look at alternatives. However, even with uh, hydrogen blends in diesel, you're getting only like a 60% reduction in, in emission, mm. and we would need to go further to, to meet our net zero objectives for 2050. So it's it's a way of making sure that we don't start to scrap perfectly useful usable vehicles way before their uh, their lives are up. Because as you know, these vehicles would typically be doing hundreds of thousands of miles and they represent a significant investment from the road haulage uh, market. So having a retrofit option is a, is a good way of, um, of of making that transition work. But I think ultimately it, it'll end up as fuel cell even for the heavy vehicle fleet. I have another question. Um, so one one of the kind of the arguments against battery electric vehicles is that they they produce more carbon in in the production of of the you know the vehicle itself, the batteries and, and so on. Is there a similar kind of argument against you know hydrogen fuel cell vehicles? 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not too sure on the process of extracting hydrogen and all of that kind of thing, but are there kind of limitations or concerns there like there are with battery electric vehicles? I think it's a very good question, Jess, and I think, yes, there are. I mean, I think and what I would always encourage people to do, regardless of what, um, what solution they're thinking about, I would always encourage them to take the broadest possible system view. So, yes, one of the reasons why I, I think that hydrogen vehicles will play a greater role is because I think eventually, perhaps not eventually, perhaps quite soon, people will begin to question the life cycle impact from an environmental perspective. And that's not just emissions, that's also things like um, the, the challenges of, of producing batteries, the challenges of producing fuel cells. I think there are challenges which are not just emission related, but are related to the broader environmental impact of the transition we're making. So, you know, we're, we're moving from one extractive industry in the form of oil and gas, and we're drilling for oil and gas and using that, refining it and processing it to produce fuels for internal, for internal combustion engines. What we're doing with batteries, and, and this is not batteries versus hydrogen, by the way, this is batteries and hydrogen, but what we're doing is we're transitioning to another form of extractive industry, which is rare earth metal mining. So we're, we're digging out cobalt in very difficult situations in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We're mining for lithium, which is either um, excavation projects or it's, um, it's, it's brine um, production, which involves injecting huge quantities of water below ground to recover uh, lithium salts, which are then left in very huge pans to be uh, to be dried out and dug out. So I think there are challenges there. With respect to hydrogen on the fuel side, there are two main routes to producing hydrogen today. Uh, one is called uh, blue hydrogen. It's uh, commonly all part of the hydrogen rainbow. So blue hydrogen is produced by uh, steam methane reforming. And that basically means applying high temperature steam to uh, natural gas. And what we're doing is cracking those um, methane molecules to produce a, a hydrogen molecule, but we also produce CO2. And therefore, in order to make that zero carbon, we need to capture that CO2 and store it, which is called carbon capture and storage. Uh, so blue hydrogen is the dominant, uh, it's likely to be the dominant lower cost source of hydrogen for the next, probably the next 10 to 15 years. But beyond that, we'll start to move to what we call green hydrogen, which is the production of hydrogen from electrolysis of water. And here what we're doing is applying electricity to water and we're cracking the water molecule to produce a hydrogen and an oxygen. Um, and the, the oxygen can be used for medical purposes or it, can be, it could be released safely back to the atmosphere. The hydrogen goes into the, um, into the it could go into a gas grid, it could, go into, um, it could go into power generation, it could go into vehicles. Um, but that's a much cleaner, and as its name suggests, green solution for the production of hydrogen. Interestingly, as we start to look at the options for hydrogen, we start to look at the commercial uh, opportunities for hydrogen, there are even some opportunities to produce hydrogen from waste plastic. So you can begin to see option, options here of a circular economy, where you can take another waste pro product like plastics that we can't dispose of today, and through a pyrolysis process, produce hydrogen from that as well. So uh, yes, I would always encourage people to look at the broadest possible uh, impact and not just think about tailpipe emissions, but also think about the full 
uh, environmental impact of any solution. Um, so yeah, green, uh, blue hydrogen moving into green hydrogen for the 2030s uh, will be the likely source of, of, of the fuel, but we cannot ignore the fact that we'll still be need, we'll still need a battery in a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. We still need large amounts of copper in electric motors. We will still need to find ways to reduce the weight of vehicles, which actually interestingly requires us to use more plastics. So if you think about the, um, the construction of a battery electric vehicle or a, uh, a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, in order to counteract the weight of batteries and motors, we use more plastics in those vehicles than we would do in an internal combustion engine. So a Nissan Leaf or something similar probably has around 350 kilos of plastic. That represents around 300 litres of oil. So, you know, there is no getting away from the fact that we need molecular energy to produce the goods and thing, uh, that we will need for the future. So the argument that says, well, we just switch off oil and gas really doesn't hold water because we need oil and gas in particular to continue to make plastics to enable wind turbines and, and battery electric vehicles to be built anyway. That's fascinating. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, really interesting stuff, actually. And I think it, it is quite interesting to make that point that you know, the use of uh, of oil and gas that we extract from under the seabed and various other places isn't just used to burn and produce emissions. It has so many other applications in everything around us, especially the automobile, you know, everything from the plastics we use in the bodywork and the, in the interiors, the rubber on the tyres, um, not just the fuel. So even when we stop putting, you know, crude oil derived fuels into cars, um, <clears throat> we'll still be using a lot of that, that, um, that chemical product for other things. 80, about 80% of our energy system today, John, is, is what I would describe as molecular energy. It is hydrocarbon-based largely. It's oil, gas, mm-hmm. to some degree is also coal. My own organisation does an energy transition outlook every year, and we've, we, we model the world's energy system. And even with the, with the most amount of electrification and the uptake of battery electric vehicles at its highest level, in fact, much higher than other forecasters would, would agree with, uh, we only reduce our energy system to 50% molecular energy by 2050. We still need a lot of oil and gas in the system to make the products that we need. It's, it's quite interesting to hear that uh, essentially on a, when you split them into two, like you say, sort of looking at the um, day-to-day use and what comes out the, uh, out the tailpipe, um, there is shared ground for both uh, EV and hydrogen there in different sectors, you know, c- commercial perhaps over retail. And then even in the bigger picture, they obviously share the same problems as well. So when when you've positioned this, Graham, as actually there's probably a place for both and they'll, they'll work together, it sounds as though in a way they've almost got the same problems they need to solve together as well. Or there's a, at least a lot of crossover. Yeah, there, there is, Martin. I mean, I've no doubt that, you know, and, and as, as Jess said, explained in, in the earlier podcasts, you know, the, the battery technologies have evolved tremendously and they will continue to evolve tremendously as well. You know, um, the criticisms that we, we levied at battery electric vehicles four or five years ago about their cost, about their range, uh, have largely been solved and they will continue to improve. Um, and the same thing will happen with, with hydrogen fuel cell vehicles as well, that, that the, we will continue to innovate and, and you innovate as the market grows. So as demand grows, you get more and more competition coming in and competition drives innovation. And that innovation, generally speaking, reduces reduces cost. But you do have to be careful about the challenge of technology obsolescence. 
because this transition that we're making has to be just transition. We have to make sure the people we hand our, you know, second, third hand battery vehicles or fuel cell vehicles down the chain to, that they can still afford those vehicles and that they don't end up with a fleet which, is, which becomes technologically obsolescent very quickly. Mm, no, of course. And we, um, one, one thing that's actually just come to mind that you said about sort of second and third owners, we touched on in the previous podcast, um, potential, uh, sort of ser- saving on servicing and, and the fact that there are very sort of few moving parts. In terms of a hydrogen, uh, fuel cell, um, do, well, hey, what, what service, well, yeah, what servicing does it need? And in terms of, uh, for a retail customer, for example, that had a hydrogen fueled car, uh, what does that mean for them in terms of keeping it maintained and on the road? Well, it's, it's important, of course, that we, we recognise that effectively a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle is very similar to a battery electric vehicle. In, it's using electric motors to drive the wheels. It's using uh, regenerative braking to, to recover energy during, uh, during deceleration. And the big difference is, is the battery pack versus the fuel cell. And because you've got a fuel cell and because you've got a... Um, a pressurized storage tank effectively with, with hydrogen in, there are a few more safety checks that need to be done. The, the fuel cell longevity is, is currently longer than a battery. And so, you know, we see battery car manufacturers offering eight to 10 year, perhaps uh, warranty lives on, on batteries. There is no restriction in terms of the ability of a current restriction in terms of the longevity of a, of a fuel cell in that sense. It doesn't uh, it, it, it can get contaminated if the fuel uh, purity is not correct, but that's controlled through the fueling systems. Um, but you will need to conduct safety checks. You need to check um, the, the tanks, you'll need to check the pipes, you'll need to check uh, relief systems and sensing systems and some of the electronics that are built in there um, through a diagnostic process. So perhaps a little bit more complex than a battery electric vehicle, but still far fewer moving parts in terms of, um, you know, you're probably looking at maybe a battery electric vehicle today has got 20 to 25 moving parts. A fuel cell vehicle probably in, in, in terms of moving parts is exactly the same, but probably has a little bit more overhead with respect to the, the checks that need to be taken on the fuel cell and storage systems. Okay, well, I think that's, looking at the time, I think that's a really good um, point to sort of wrap up. And I think we've covered um, I, I know, especially for me, uh, definitely a, a whistle stop sort of uh, tour of, of pretty much everything. But it was all new to me, so that was that was fascinating, and I'm sure it will be to people that were listening. Um, but if I go around the table again, John, anything you wanted to uh, sort of any final thoughts, comments, or questions? No, I think uh, thank you, Graham. It's been really educational for me. There's a lot I've learned about the kind of hydrogen economy that sits behind this technology uh, as well as the the application of it uh, and i wasn't aware it was already quite so widely used in in sort of buses and uh and commercial vehicles so that's really good to know that that technology is already taking steps forward no you're welcome and all, all i would say probably in closing is you know please just view this as part of the solution there is no silver bullet to the energy transition there's no one solution one size fits all solution so hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells are part of the, of the path to a low carbon future, but they're not the only path. Brilliant. Uh, and just to check, Jess, anything you wanted to uh, ask Graham before we leave? Or No, no. I mean, I've learned a lot today and, you know, it's, it's really fascinating how 
um, you know, how there they're are the same challenges facing, you know, all these different kind of fuel options. Um, but it kind of really hammers home the point that, you know, it, it isn't one size fits all and that there will be kind of a lot of different solutions for different people going forward. Brill. I like it. Unity between the EV and the hydrogen community there. Uh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time on those discussions there. Uh, hopefully it's been enlightening for you listening uh, as well. But it just leaves me to say, uh, Jess, a big thank you uh, for your uh, input on this one. Thank you very much. It's been great to be here. And Graham, thank you as well for joining us and taking time out of your schedule. Uh, thanks, Martin. I enjoyed taking part in the discussions. And John, uh, I'm sure we will be back. Uh, but uh, thank, you, thank you for co-hosting with me or taking your specialist role uh, in this week's episode. Uh, and we will see you all very soon to continue the discussion. Excellent. Goodbye. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening.